I V M. Hello and welcome to the Why Talks. I'm Siddharth Bhatia. The partition of India in 1947 was a traumatic and violent time for ordinary Indians who had to move across the newly demarcated borders. Millions of people died, lost their homes and had to settle down in a new land. Most of all it showed the barbarity of man against man. A lot of fiction has been written about partition capturing the ethos and the pain of those times. One such novel Kunde Sole by Nanak Singh the eminent Punjabi writer and public intellectual has just been translated into English as Hymns of Blood by his grandson Navdeep Suri The novel shows how old entrenched relationships in a small village Chakri in West Punjab can collapse and turn violent in the face of hatred and bigotry a theme that is particularly relevant for our times Navdeep Suri who is our guest today is a diplomat and was India's ambassador to Egypt the United Arab Emirates and also high commissioner to Australia he is also translated other books by his grandfather welcome to the wire talks navdeep suri thank you siddharth navdeep quick question you were a busy diplomat when did you find the time to translate these books there's always time uh, that can be eked out of a busy schedule if you are uh, determined i think uh, time management is a skill that all of us acquire over the years uh, but this uh, particular uh, book hymns uh, in blood uh, has mostly been translated after i retired uh, from the diplomatic service the three other books that i translated including the last one khuni visaki was done mostly at work uh, while i was working but uh, you know there's an evening free you sacrifice on social engagements you sacrifice on a bit of leisure time and you are able to take the time out for uh, for it if you set your mind to it that's very inspiring and slightly intimidating at the same time uh for uh, <laughs> those who want to be or are writing because we somehow find that we never get the time so uh i'm sure a lot of people must have been interested in what you just said what motivated you to translate your grandfather's books did you think of books by other writers too I haven't uh, yet. Uh, there's a door open for that, but I'll tell you. You know, my grandfather Nanak Singh was a quite a remarkable individual. Uh, he was pretty much unlettered. Uh, didn't get formal education beyond fourth grade in school. Uh, was orphaned when he was uh, barely nine years old, uh, and yet produced a staggering 58 books, uh, including 38 novels. And uh, some 10 years back. my mother who was a lecturer in punjabi at uh, at the khalsa college in amritsar uh, used to always uh, sort of rib me on it that look your grandfather was such a natural storyteller but his uh, fame is limited only to punjab and you're the only guy in the family whose english is halfway decent so uh, why don't you try and translate one of his books and let's see how it goes and uh, that is the beginning of that journey about uh, 11 or 12 years back Uh, and the first novel that i translated was uh, pavitra papi which was also a celebrated film in the 1960s with balraj sahni and stuff uh, and it was published uh, as the watchmaker so that was the start of this journey 
Of course, uh, Pavitra Papi became uh, well-known beyond the borders of Punjab when it was made into a movie. Unfortunately, the movie did not do that well, but it's well-known. But of the many books you translated, it was the one in 2019, Centenary of Jallianwala Bagh Massacre, uh, Kuni Vesaki. Now, I understand, I remember that when the book came out, it got a lot of attention, a lot of reviews. Uh, as I understand, uh, your grandfather was there. Yes, he was. And I think that's what makes that book so remarkable. He was a 22-year-old in Amritsar, had a bit of a penchant for poetry, was getting involved into the nationalist movement, and showed up with two of his friends at Jalemala Bagh on that fateful 13th of April, 1919. And uh, he had gone very clearly, not to celebrate Visakhi, as some people think, uh, but to protest against the Rowlett Act. And um, uh, when the firing happened, both his friends were killed. He himself was knocked unconscious in the stampede, uh, literally walked away from the dead and wrote a searing ballad uh, called Khuni Visakhi, first published in May 1920 and properly banned by the Brits all copies confiscated. And for us in the family, it was lost to us for the next 60 years uh, until uh, my father, through a series of coincidences, got hold of a copy uh, in 1979 and republished it after that gap of six uh, decades uh, as a lost work that had now come back to life. Uh, and so uh, when, uh, when the centenary was coming up, it was again my mother who uh, was after me that, look, this is a famous poem and this, what better time? And I kept protesting. I said, look, I, I've never translated poetry. I don't know if I have the feel for it. But anyway, uh, I guess uh, some persistence, uh, some improvisation, and uh, eventually it brought Khuni Visakhi to a much larger audience than uh, we ever imagined. You know, when the book came out, I uh, got a chance to read some of it. And uh, I remember that it was to put it mildly, heart-rending. So, he was there when the shooting began. That must have been something for a 22-year-old to witness, people falling all around him, the cries, the pain. How did he translate that into verse? Well, uh, you know, I think there's no better way than for me to perhaps just pick out a section um, and, and read it. I'm happy to read the English translation and if, the, you know, and, and, and uh, for you to see how it goes. Um, you know, the book itself, the poem is a chronological narration of that fateful first fortnight of uh, 1919. And, and it sets the context first through a series of uh, poems before coming to this dramatic time when General Dyer enters the Jalayamala Bagh and orders the firing. And it starts... 5.30 sharp, the clock had struck. Thousands gathered in the bag, my friends. Leaders came to lament the nation's woes, taking turns to speak out loud, my friends. Voiced grievance, hardship, anger, sorrow, saying no one listens to us, my friends. What can we do? What options left? Can't see any ray of light, my friends. Those words forlorn, they barely voiced, came soldiers thundering down, my friends. At Dyer's command, those Gurkha troops gathered in a formation tight, my friends. Under tyrant's orders, they opened fire straight into innocent hearts, my friends, and fire and fire and fire they did. 
Some thousands of bullets were shot, my friends. Like searing hail, they felled our youth, a tempest not seen before, my friends. Riddled chests and bodies slid to the ground, each one a target large, my friends. Haunting cries for help did rend the sky, smoke rose from smoldering guns, my friends. Just a sip of water was all they sought. Valiant youth lay dying in the dust, my friends. That narrow lane to enter the bag sealed off on Dyer's command, my friends. No exit, no escape, no way out was left, making bag a deathly trap, my friends. A fortunate few somehow survived, while most died then and there, my friends. Some ran with bullets ripping their chest, stumbling to their painful end, my friends. Others caught the bullet while running away, dropping lifeless in awkward heaps, my friends. In minutes, the bog so strewn with corpses, none knew just who was who, my friends. Many of them did look like Sikhs, amid Hindus and Muslims plenty, my friends. In prime of their youth, our brave hearts lay, gasping for one last breath, my friends. Long hair lay matted in blood and grime, in slumber deep, they sleep, my friends, says Nanak Singh, who knows their state, but God, the one and only, my friends. Yeah, so the it evokes what must have, the horror of what must have been, uh, what must have happened and what he saw, which makes it even more uh, frightening in, in some ways and more uh, graphic brings graphic. to life yeah just in passing i was there about 3 months ago and i'm afraid uh, i i visited after 25 years or something some of that spirit and uh, that mood has gone uh, i suppose it's in keeping with the times Though one would like to be a bit more uncharitable about it, but this is not the venue or the time or the place. But Jallianwala Bagh is something that all of us in this country do know. Now coming to Kunde Sole, again, what struck me was that, in a sense, your grandfather Nanak Singh was a uh, sutradhar almost a journalist writing about the big events of his time. Uh, to some of them, he was an eyewitness and some of them he perceived uh, because that he was so steeped in the mud uh, and the soil of uh, his native land. So, Khun Ke Sohle, I found, was heartbreaking and depressing. Uh, quite honestly, you see the breakdown of a society and of the many books that he has written, why did you pick this one? Okay, um, uh, let me just rewind first for uh, for a moment to the comment that you made about uh, Jallianwala Bagh. Uh, you know, it's a place that I remember as a kid growing up and, uh, you know, going to the Jallianwala Bagh whenever some relatives would come or whatever. And, you know, my enduring memory of that place is walking in and getting into a really solemn mood and there was a sobriety about it and there was this uh, moment to reflect on what had happened there in April 1919. I went back there after the sort of 
Disneyfication and wrote a pretty angry piece uh, about it. I think I called it a desecration of a sacred site, uh, the thoughtlessness with which uh, the uh, modernization has been, uh, has been done. I mean, nobody argues that you need uh, decent toilets and other facilities, or you can explain the context uh, uh, in a more interesting way. But I think uh, what has done over there is really uh, playing havoc with uh, sacred history. Uh, and I certainly uh, have uh, voiced my uh, objection to that. Uh, coming to um, Hymns and Blood, you know, by the time partition happened, two things need to be kept in mind. Uh, Bauji was already, uh, my grandfather was already a celebrated writer. He had published uh, bestsellers like Pavitra Papi and Chittalahu already uh, by 1947. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he uh, did a stint in jail in 1922. And that's when he got access to Munshi Premchand's novels. And he was deeply influenced by Munshi Premchand. And the first two or three novels that he read, his instinct was, I found my calling in life. This is what I want to do. I want to write novels which will reform society. And so what, what I tried to do uh, uh, when I was sort of done with Khuni Vesakhi and looking for the next one, I was mindful that, you know, the, the uh, 75 years of independence, uh, Azadi Ka Amrit Mahotsav is coming up and it's going to be celebrated. And in those celebrations, isn't it important that we also pay some heed to the price that was paid for that independence of India. Uh, and so I uh, started looking at uh, Bauji's uh, uh, novels on the partition, and he wrote four back to back in quick succession. Uh, two of these, Khunde Sole is the first one, uh, published in February 1948, gives you a glimpse into a facet that we didn't know too much about of what is the texture of life in a rural area in uh, what's now Pakistan near Rawalpindi. What was the community like? How did they live? And that those kind of intergenerational bonds that had developed between the families, regardless of religious faith, how they celebrated all the festivals together. And then the events that led to the uh, mass uh, movement. So that's the first one. The, the second one, which I am now taking up, is Agdi Khed, which is a sequel to Khun de Sohle. And Agdi Khed, again, is set in the same period the last one year before independence or the last one year before partition, except that Agdi Khed is set entirely in Amritsar, and it shows you the other side uh, of events uh, cascading to a point that the Muslims of Amritsar are forced to flee, uh, a, a city in which they had lived for generations. And, and I think, again, many forget that uh, Amritsar had almost like a 35% Muslim population uh, in 1947. So these two books, uh, I thought, are extremely relevant, um, not just because they coincide with the 75 years of independence, but frankly, I'm also a little concerned about the new uh, intent to declare August 14th, basically, as the horrors of partition, the remembrance of the horrors of partition. And I don't know what kind of uh, impact it's going to have. Is it going to be more divisive or is there going to be a message of healing? Because... To me, the message that clearly comes through the two novels that I'm translating uh, is one where the partition was terrible. It was an immense tragedy, but there's an 
embedded message of healing within that as well. And that's what I hope that uh, will carry to the readers when they read these books. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to the Wire Talks. You know, the the book starts with, begins with a kind of flirtation between a village girl and a boy. And uh, you already in... I felt that it, there was there was a kind of in that flirtation there was a statement in which the boy says, "Oh, you listen to those Hindus, but not to us Muslims." And so it was already evident that the communal poison is getting into the system by then. Uh, but when I read the book, it struck me that. Even in the middle of all that ugliness, there are traces of humanity. The Babaji, who's a village elder, for example, shows the ability to withstand all the hate. So clearly the author had faith in the innate goodness of people. Yes, and I don't think it's uh, it's just coincidental. I think what Babaji used to do very effectively was use his storyline and his characters to give out a message that he wanted to give. And and in this book, there's no dilution of uh, the uh, trauma of partition. You know, uh, it's fairly graphic, uh, particularly in the latter part of the book. Uh, But at the same time, some of the strongest characters in the book are also Muslims who are willing to give up everything to save their Hindu neighbors. I mean, you have this remarkable Chaudhary Fazl Karim, who takes an, a false oath on the Quran to persuade the marauders uh, that this Baba is not uh, taking refuge in his house. He has given refuge to the Baba and his family in his house. But when they come looking for the Baba, he says, I swear by the Quran that I'm not hiding any Hindus in my house. That shows you the character of the man, that he's putting his friendship above his religion, in a sense. And the way he tells his son, uh, Fatah, that you are going to go and escort them to safety, no matter what. And and the fact that 10 or 12 young, sturdy Muslim youth from the village are given the task of accompanying them and escorting them to safety. Again, uh, despite the fact that Chaudhary's own house is burnt down as as vendetta for having given refuge uh, uh, to the Hindus, shows you how strong those bonds were and the character of uh, some of these uh, individuals. So I think when you read the book as a whole, and that's true for the second one as well, what you come away with is not a black and white story uh, that uh, I think uh, has become the norm. Uh, but the uh, nuances within it of people who uh, put friendship above everything else. The story of that one village is the story of India as a whole, because this same thing happened in thousands of villages all across West Punjab, Indian Punjab, possibly in Bengal too. Uh, So, but more than that, which we have read in our history books. More than that, it's the story of India since then also. And I felt that 
Hunde Sole, I don't know how you felt while translating or what your motivation was, but I felt that the book, Hymns of Blood, is particularly relevant to our times today. Did that play on your mind at all? Very much, uh, very much so. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, in the process of writing, uh, translating that book, kept reminding me how much we need that message in these times. Uh, you know, when you read the foreword of the, uh, of, of the novel that uh, my grandfather wrote, he says, anyone who knows me, uh, I was a nationalist who was doing everything for India's independence. And I longed for the day when we would be an independent and united country. And today, uh, I have to sit back after having witnessed the horrors and say that as India is celebrating independence, I ask the question, was independence worth losing our humanity as a people? Uh, what we did to each other? And, and, and it's a very profound message that comes through, um, uh, not only in this forward. My own experience, Siddharth, uh, not to go very far, I was born in Amritsar, grew up in Amritsar, uh, and uh, Amritsar today has virtually no Muslim identity. And this was a city that had a large, thriving Muslim population. It had mosques, it had bazaars, streets uh, with a very uh, Muslim character. But the wrenching of communities as a result of the partition was so complete in Punjab that growing up in Amritsar, I remember maybe seeing the odd Kashmiri or the odd Afghan trader who would come to Amritsar because those were the old trading links. But short of that, there were no Muslims that we interacted with. That othering of the communities had really happened. And, and the remarkable thing today, uh, if I come back to the present time, is that while in other parts of India, maybe the further you go from the border, you see much greater uh, resentment and angst and communal sort of tensions, Punjab itself seems to have gotten over it. The state that paid the most extreme price for partition does not seem to harbor the kind of resentment towards Muslims across the border. Uh, and, and if there's a peace constituency in the country, you'll probably find it stronger in Amritsar than almost anywhere else in India. So, you know, it also shows you the capacity of people to rise above or get beyond that tragedy and, and, and say, okay, we know it happened. And, and how do we now get over it and move beyond it? I, once again, would like to focus on the allegorical part of this particularly relevant book about partition and what happened uh, among people to something that is happening, a lot that is happening today, lynchings, the othering of minorities, the constant political establishment is constantly pointing fingers. Muslims are finding they are being economically squeezed. So the horrors of partition are very much with us today. Yeah, it's depressing, uh, Siddharth, uh, to see uh, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, the kind of issues we have moving on, uh, you know, 
one day it's the hijab, the other day it's the halal, the third day it's uh, even Urdu language. It's almost as if uh, a language has a religion. Uh, and, and, and the uh, narrow-mindedness uh, of uh, some of the proponents of these uh, uh, ideas really is uh, disturbing. I feel that it strikes uh, at the heart of the idea of India that we uh, cherish, but certainly the idea of India that my uh, grandfather uh, and, and people of his, his generation fought for. Uh, and, and uh, you know, in his own autobiography, uh, he says at one point that I have tried through my characters to create a sense of unity or amity, at least, between the different communities, Hindus, Sikhs, and Muslims. Uh, wherever I've had a storyline, I've tried to insert characters that will bring up that, uh, uh, that element. So he was very conscious of his responsibility and duty as a public intellectual of that time. Uh, to, to uh, send out a certain message. But I think over the years, uh, uh, we seem to have uh, lost the plot on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's that old saying that those who forget the lessons of history are destined to repeat it. And uh, perhaps we are falling into that trap. We've forgotten the horrors of the partition. We've forgotten what could happen to societies um, when communal passions are unleashed. There are no winners everybody ends up poorer for it. So, do you, is Kunde Soile available in Punjab? Is it being read, you think? Or maybe the other novel which was set in Amritsar? Look, Kunde Soile and Agni Khed in their Punjabi editions uh, remain classics, as are many other of my grandfather's novels. They remain in print. Many of his books are part of the school curriculum, the college curriculum, university. It's basically like if you're studying English language and you have to read Hardy and Dickens, if you're studying Punjabi at any level, you have to read Nanak Singh. There's no, you know, getting away from, uh, uh, from his works and thank God for, uh, for that. Uh, the English translation has just come out and uh, I think it should hit the stores uh, about now. It's been available on Amazon for a couple of weeks and I certainly hope that it uh, catches the imagination of a younger generation. But Honestly, uh, you know, the readership for this book really isn't limited to Punjab, right? I think it's, uh, uh, if anything, it's more <laughs> relevant for some of the other parts of our country which need to take a pause and reflect on, uh, on, on where we are heading. Well, one can only hope that is the case because uh, what one, the madness one sees around, I don't know whether anyone wants to, uh, that's not strictly true, but when I say a lot of people don't want to be reminded of the madness that's going on. So, but I have complete uh, faith that there are enough people in this country who will want to know more about these books so, and more about those times. Uh, actually, there is an upsurge of partition literature uh, in many ways, memories, memoirs, personal histories. So, maybe in that sense, this also will contribute to the debate. What is next for uh, uh, Navdeep Suri now that he's not a busy diplomat, but still busy, I'm sure? Yeah, still busy. Uh, so, uh, you know, as soon as um, the dust settles on, on this one, I uh, will take up Agdi Khed. 
which is a sequel to this. And you'll see some of the characters from this book reappear in the second one. And uh, to me, the second one is equally sort of gripping uh, and gives you a very different perspective of the mood in Amritsar in that fateful year before partition. And, uh, you know, there's a very interesting beginning for the the book about this uh, idealistic young Sikh uh, who I think is modeled on the character of my own grandfather, who is has founded an Ittihad Sabha. Uh, and the idea of that Ittihad Sabha is to try and quell the rising communal passions. And obviously, he's fighting a losing battle uh, as he uh, starts with that. So, so um, I, I hope that I can get that second book done in the next uh, six months. But beyond that, I continue to retain my uh, strong interest in foreign policy, which I did for a living for the last 36 odd years. Uh, I'm with the Observer Research Foundation, and I uh, read, write, speak on the Middle East. I uh, write on the Indo-Pacific. Uh, generally, try to contribute to a more informed discussion on foreign policy issues. Yes, all very important things. Uh, Navdeep, just one last uh, winding up question. Punjabi literature is a treasure trove of great books. Do you think more and more translations will come out? I think it's imperative. I don't know how many people are doing it. I certainly uh, feel that we need to do a lot more um, in terms of translation so that, uh, you know, there's nothing like books to bridge cultural divides, right? Um, and and uh, uh, the misfortune, I think, is that Punjabi or Gurmukhi language as a language is shrinking rapidly. Even in Punjab, you find lots of young people who today uh, will converse in Hindi uh, or who can't read Gurmukhi. Uh, They take it as mandatory up to fifth grade or eighth grade, and after that, they're done with it. Uh, And it's it's that loss of a a, a linguistic identity that I find is uh, deeply worrisome. Um, Can we do more to preserve it? I uh, don't know. Uh, I certainly hope so because Punjabi is such a vibrant language. It's interesting, some people are making that effort also to use transliteration uh, to reach a much wider audience because the the spoken Punjabi is pretty much the same from uh, the uh, two-thirds of Pakistan, which is Punjabi, all the way to Delhi, uh, to the Punjabis in Delhi. But the the written script obviously uh, changes. So I think if we can do, uh, and there are now technical u- tools available that enable you to do that fairly efficiently. Uh, so maybe, you know, the idea would be to expand the uh, the market for Punjabi literature and reach newer constituencies. May there be many more. I can't read Gurmukhi, but I confess that I didn't grow up in Punjab but uh, happily can and uh, read uh, Hindi fairly extensively. So that's my tiny, uh, tiny kind of face saver, if you will. Uh, But uh, I'm glad that these books are being translated and I'm glad that you have translated this particularly, these particularly critical books with a critical message for our times that communal hatred can only produce a lose-lose situation for 
everybody. So thank you, uh, Navdeep. I personally have read Khun De Sole, Hymns of Blood, which is going to be in the bookshops any day now. And uh, it is a novel that reminds us that ordinary, decent human beings can suddenly violently turn against their friends and their neighbors and uh, people they've grown up with over generations. And that's a message that is very, very important in uh, India of today. Once again, thank you, uh, Navdeep, for joining us and telling us about these books. That was Navdeep Suri, India's ambassador to many, many countries, a strong uh, voice in the foreign policy circuit, but also a translator of some extremely important novels that happened to be written by his grandfather. We'll be back once again next week with another guest. Till then, from me, Siddharth Bhatia and the Wire Talks team, goodbye. Thank you, Siddharth. You can check out this podcast and other interesting ones on the Wire website, the IVM podcast website, app, or wherever else that you get your podcasts. Goodbye from me, Siddharth Bhatia, and the Wire Talks podcast team.